0: My Dogs by Nature family, I hope this transmission finds you well. My name is Thelonious7 and you're listening to The Opposition's Position on Dogs by Nature. Cleveland travels across the country for a Monday Night Affair against the San Francisco 49ers. We reached out to Zach Pratt of the 49ers Noir podcast. Zach Welcome to Dogs by Nature.
1: Hey guys, just wanted to thank you for having me on. Uh, My name is Zach Pratt, a writer at 49ers Hub. Uh, I focus mainly on the NFL draft and college football when I'm writing my articles for them. Uh, But I also have a podcast uh, at 49ers Noir, uh, the 49ers Noir podcast with my co-host Will. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at MeZachP. I tweet probably 33% about the 49ers, 33% about generic draft stuff, and then the other 33% is just my other sports teams that I follow. Uh, You can also follow the 49ers Noir pod at 49ers Noir pod. Uh, The at 49ers Noir main account also has some news and notes that are 49ers related. And then you can also follow my co-host Will, at wcuberos that's w-c-u-b-e-r-o-s so you can give all of us a follow um i won't over inundate you with 49ers stuff there will also be some like i said some nfl draft stuff that is more applicable to your fan base and with the cleveland browns but yeah thanks again for having me i really appreciate it
0: and thank you i appreciate you taking the time to do this for us and i really feel like i'm a much better fan for having this discussion with you so, let's get into it. Question number 1. First, can you let us know how you're holding up after what must be nearly 200 hours without football? What can we as Browns fans do to deal with this blight? What games were you watching this weekend?
1: Yeah, it's been a it's been a rough having this early bye week, especially, you know, with it being so early in the season and you have this hot streak going and you just want to continue it. You don't want to take a break this early in the season when you've been rolling for the for the first three games. There are a couple of injuries. You know, Nick Bosa had a high ankle sprain in training camp that kept him out most of the preseason. So the extra week will be good to get him back fully healthy. He's been playing so far the first three games, but he's been a little limited. Uh, same with D Ford. He had some tendinitis issues in his knee and hopefully this extra break will get him back to full strength as well he hasn't really practiced at all this season he's just played on game day but he's still been pretty effective there's a couple other guys Tevin Coleman and Jalen Hurd hopefully that this extra week will get them back and healthy so the 49ers might be back at full strength uh now that they have this early bye week so maybe it was a blessing in disguise but For the fans, you know, seeing everybody playing in week four, you really just want to get back there. Uh, Since I write about the college game quite a bit, I did watch a lot of college football on Saturday. I'm an Iowa fan, so I, of course, had to watch that game. Then there was also a couple other matchups. There was a divisional matchup between Seattle and Arizona, so we watched that this past weekend. And then the Rams also played uh, the Saints. And the 49ers are going to play the Saints later on this season in December. Plus the two games against the Rams. So there was still plenty to keep us fans entertained. Even though it, like I said, it's rough having a week four bye. You just want more football. And when it gets taken away from you so quickly, it's rough.
0: Man, I totally sympathize with you on the week four bye situation. And of course, the NFL adds insult to injury. By making you guys wait for monday night but i think this matchup's probably worth it on to the next question our old good buddy kyle shanahan is welcoming the cleveland browns into the bay area who knows if it wasn't for a few texts he might actually still be here in cleveland right and then i know the first two years in san francisco were tough but are we starting to see the fruits of the group's long-term planning 3-0 looks great from here, but how does the marriage between Lynch and Shaney look from your perspective? Further, how do you think Shanahan has managed to stay ahead of the league in terms of play structure and design?
1: Yeah, the the Lynch and Shanahan era started off a little bit rough. Uh, there was It was tough for them to figure out what roles each one was going to take. So in the first draft that they had together... Kyle Shanahan stood on the table, said, We need to trade up and get these couple of guys that I really want to build the team around. These are my guys. These are what I see. And, you know, when you're a coach, you don't get to watch all the game tape. So those two guys were C.J. Bethard, the quarterback out of Iowa, and Joe Williams, a running back out of Utah. And Joe Williams did not take a snap at all with the team before he was let go. And then C.J. Beathard is now the third-string quarterback behind Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Mullins. So it's those picks of his haven't completely worked out, and I think that that's helped, helped their relationship in the sense that he knows that he can stay, take a step back as it comes to particular players maybe a little bit more, but he can just focus on relaying the type of player that he wants to get. And then Lynch and the scouting department, uh, Adam Peters is a big member of that too, coming from Denver. He th- Those two have done a really great job at getting talent that kind of fits what Shanahan wants to do on offense and then what uh, Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator, wants to do on defense and I know that there were some comments that earlier this offseason about there being a lot of tension between Lynch and Shanahan that was from a former scout that got let go and I wouldn't take I would take that with a grain of salt you know you're always going to badmouth your employer a little bit when you get fired and there's been no reports from the really trustworthy beat guys that are with the team every day that there is any type of tension if There were to be troubles, you know, Lynch would probably go before Shanahan, but everyone seems to be finding their roles and working together really well right now. And that's good because Kyle Shanahan's offensive schemes are still a thing of beauty. He is really excelling at finding mismatches and feeding off the aggressiveness of defenders who might not be as patient as they need to be. You know, the league is turning to a lot more of... The defenders need to just be completely athletic guys who can run sideline to sideline all over the place, but they might not be able to process things quite as quickly. They might get caught off guard with reads, and that's where Shanahan really, you know, that, that's where he really attacks the defenses is finding those guys who are going to be a little bit too aggressive, and he's got the weapons to be able to do that. And he really takes advantage of his mismatches in the middle of the field with George Kittle, Kyle check at fullback, and then uh, the running backs, Matt Breda, Raheem Mosert, Tevin Coleman... We haven't seen Jarek McKinnon at all, but those are the types of running backs he likes. Running backs who they can run the ball and then they can also catch the ball out of the backfield. There's starting to get some decent receivers on the outside and guys like Debo Samuel and Dante Pettis and Marquise Goodwin who won that 40-yard dash competition they had back earlier in the summer. So he's got some extreme speed. And then Dante Pettis and Debo Samuel, they're just extremely great route runners and can get open with you know, really honing in those nuances of running routes that you don't see a ton of get with guys coming out of college. They still don't have that, you know, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Odell Beckham Jr. type receiver on the outside. So I don't think that we're getting the full repertoire of what Kyle Shanahan can do, like he, what he did in Atlanta in that Super Bowl run. Uh, but we, you still get to see like ninety percent of his full capability, and. What makes his offensive scheme so special is that he can also, in addition to finding those mismatches, and feed, the way he can feed off the aggressiveness is by running multiple plays out of the same personnel and uh, formation and having the same motion in pre-snap. All of that. All of it can look identical, so it, the, it was the Bengals game that this was really evident. Or no, 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 I'm sorry, it was the Steelers game that this was really evident the first three plays that were run from scrimmage it was the same personnel two wide receivers two running backs while well, running back in the fullback and then the tight end the same pre-snap motion of Marquise goodwin running across the field on the first play it was a regular pass on the second play it was a run and on the third play it was a play action pass so you they he can run because of their versatility of guys being able to catch the ball, like, and then also being able to block. Guys like George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk, they can do both. They can catch and they can block. So all of these guys can be on the field, and you don't know whether they're going to run or pass. And that's really the perfect way to catch a defense out of position, is when you aren't giving away through pre-snap motion or through your personnel on the field what the type of play you're going to be running. So that's really important for Kyle Shanahan's scheme. And so far this season, they've been doing an, ex- an excellent job at, uh, at executing it.
0: Man, I love this answer, and I love the way you think. It's funny to think that Shanahan, by getting what he wanted and finding out that it was T.J. Bethard, this somehow oddly reminds me of Hugh Jackson's situation banging the table for Cody Kessler. Only with Hugh, he didn't have that voice of um, celebrity or experience like Lynch to kind of be a counterbalance to his action. Man, Ever since Shanahan was here in 2014, I knew he'd find a place of his own. It was just a matter of time. I'm definitely excited to see him again coming up on Monday night. Well, we'll take a quick break. But when we're back, we'll have more with Zach Pratt. You're listening to The Opposition's Position on Dogs by Nature. You is gone, Cleveland's got a new beginning, yeah. Okay, on to the next question. Cleveland fell apart after the New England trade for Jimmy G, as obviously they would have offered at least 6 first rounds for the former backup with Hugh Jackson in charge. Did something seem off with that trade for you? And also, how good of a fit has it been thus far for Jimmy Garoppolo? Does he own that city like Baker owns Cleveland?
1: You know, I was definitely surprised that the 49ers were able to get Jimmy G for only a second round pick, but ultimately it made a lot of sense for the Patriots to do what they did. You know, if they were around him in practices, they saw him a little bit in games, they saw him in the preseason, they worked with him, they knew his study habits, they knew everything about him. And if they truly thought that he was going to be a good quarterback, they knew they couldn't afford to sign him in the off-season, so he was not going to be a Patriot after that, after that 2017 season. So, they didn't want him terrorizing the Patriots early in the playoffs or as often as every year in the regular season if they finish in the same position in the standings. So, you want to get him out of the conference. You know, get him to a team that you have mutual respects with. You don't want to send him to a wasteland because, you know, you like the guy. You spend a lot of time with him. You want him to succeed. And also, make sure that that team has the cap space to sign him long term so he doesn't go back to the AFC as a free agent. And now once you do that, he only plays you in the Super Bowl itself or once every four years uh, because of the way the NFL does their scheduling. Now, I'm I'm not sure we're ever going to get that Tom Brady-Jimmy G quarterback matchup in the Super Bowl, but it would certainly be interesting. Uh, You know, and as far as him owning the city, I'm not quite sure anyone owns a city like Baker owns Cleveland, maybe outside of, you know, Brady in Boston, but... It's pretty close I mean he's definitely treated differently by the players you know in last season when CJ Beathard and Nick Mullins were taking a majority of the snaps guys would still be posting on Instagram and even the those two quarterbacks would be posting stuff on Instagram and you know guys would interact with it you know they'd like it or whatever but when Jimmy G posts something everybody's flocking to everyone's commenting and I know that seems like a really silly thing to differentiate But that's the kids these days, that's what gets them excited, and they're going to do that stuff with a guy they're more excited to be around, and a guy who they're more confident in. And, you know, there's obvious comments that the fan base can make with his good looks and everything, but I think the reason why he doesn't quite own the city like Baker owns Cleveland is that Jimmy G doesn't really seek out the spotlight a ton outside of that one incident in his dating life last summer. Um he almost seems kind of godlike as opposed to hitting that everyman feel that Baker has. You know, when Baker shotguns that, that beer at I think it was at the Indians game, just, you know, biting into the can and all that. That's the type of guy you want to hang out with. That's the type type of guy that you can see, you know, you can see your buddy doing that. You can see, you know, being at a bar with that guy and hanging out with him. You you don't really get that feeling with Jimmy G, maybe because of you know, his extremely good looks or just with how quiet he is. He doesn't seem like that every man type of guy, but you know, it's not necessarily good or bad either way. It's just different. You know, the, the 40, the fans really love him. The fan base loves him. The players love him, but I wouldn't quite say that he owns the city like Baker owns Cleveland. And as far as the fit goes, it's been great. You know, like I said, Shanahan likes to scheme guys open and he likes to do a lot of a lot of things and he puts a lot on his quarterback um, he he wants the quarterback to be throwing guys open and throwing you know those short middle intermediate passes and jimmy g is great at that he's not a deep heaver with a ton of arm strength like a josh allen or a matt stafford but what he does have is he has one of the quickest releases in football and he's very accurate with his passes and he's not you know a noodle arm like chad pennington or anything either he still has the arm strength to make every throw the system asks him to make including the occasional deep ball when it is needed i think the main issue there where people are dogging him a little bit is that Shannon's system is very complicated and you still see the growing pains coming out every once in a while i think the 5-0 start or finish to the season that he had back in 2017 can really be attributed to the fact that Shanahan cut down his system so much that Jimmy G was just kind of playing. He didn't have to think too much. And then with the offseason being able to learn everything a little bit more in depth and then Shanahan trying to run the full playbook in the beginning of 2018, it was a little bit rough because Jimmy G was thinking a lot more instead of just playing. He was thinking about what he had to do next as opposed to it being his second nature and knowing like, okay, this is I go from here to here to here, rather than, okay, I was here, okay, wait, now where do I go next? Okay, now I go here. Everything was just a titch slower in 2018, and I think a lot of it had to do with the processing of the more complicated system that Shanahan was putting on him. Now we got that ACL injury, and he was able to take a lot of mental reps last season, so even though it was a lost season physically, it wasn't a lost season mentally. And now that he is back and playing again, I think you really see those mental reps helping out. He still has the occasional lapse in judgment, and you still see those growing pains every once in a while. But he's getting to the point now where he's just playing instead of thinking. And I think that that's helping the 49ers offense really take that next step that they need.
0: Man, that is a wonderful analogy. And from now on, I think I'm totally going to see this matchup as every man versus Superman. Let's get to the next question. I feel that with Jimmy in tow, you guys have attacked the defense early and often in the draft. A lot of our fans don't get to hear a lot about things from the West Coast. How is that young core at D-line developing?
1: You know, that defensive line, it wasn't looking too good as recently as last year. You know, DeForest Buckner, he was one of the first round uh, draft picks on the defensive line uh, as a defensive tackle. He was, he's been fantastic ever since the 49ers drafted him. Eric Armstead, another defensive tackle pick. He's been a little bit streaky, but you know, he's been more above average than below average. And then Solomon Thomas, they drafted him third overall with that Mitchell Trubisky trade back in 2017, and they've been playing him out of position a lot in his first two seasons. He's really a defensive tackle. He needs to be playing on the interior. He is a good run defender on the edge, but he's completely out of position trying to rush the passer out of there and you saw that last year when he had one sack total and that was because he was the closest guy to Derek Carr as he was being chased out of bounds so now that they were able to get uh, guys like D. Ford and Nick Bosa they're replacing guys on the edge like cassius marsh and elvis doomerville and not elvis doomerville in his prime like 33 year old elvis doomerville who is on his last legs like now that they have the defensive ends to complement what they have on the interior now you really see that that transformation is complete they're getting a ton of pressure and they're forcing a lot of quick and off kilter throws which are forcing turnovers and it's really everything you want about out of these guys getting pressure And what makes it even better is when you have the talent, when you have two edge defenders like Nick Bosa and D. Ford who are able to create pressure by themselves, whether they're single or double teamed, combine that with a guy who had 13 sacks last year in DeForest Buckner, and then Eric Armstead and Solomon Thomas when they are pass rushing from the interior, they're both really good at that. So now you have four guys who can create pressure, You only have to rush those four on any given play and you can drop the other seven guys on defense back into coverage. So that's really helping this defense get to the point where they're really excelling. You know, 20 points might seem like a lot for a defense to give up if they're a top-line defense. But consider that they had five turnovers in that game against Pittsburgh and they only gave up six points off of those turnovers. That is what a good defense does is when they're put in those bad positions, they really tighten it. And they really make it so that the mistakes that the offense might make, the opposing team can't capitalize on that. And, you know, when you have also the rotational pieces like Ronald Blair and Sheldon Jones Sheldon Day and DJ Jones and Julian Taylor, being able to come in and keep the those five main guys fresh and still being able to get pressure, whether it's, you know, two of the big five or three, you know, just trying to keep everyone fresh so that in the fourth quarter, they're still able to generate that pressure. You know, that's really how you get a defense to be play well, and the 49ers are certainly doing that so far this season. Okay, so you've played the
0: Bengals and the Steelers so far this year. Up close, what did you take away from Mason Rudolph's performance? Do you think that the Bengals were as bad as that final score?
1: Yeah, with the Steelers, Mason Rudolph looked a little bit flustered in week three. You know, he, he might grow into it, but generally he was pretty inaccurate and the pressure really got to him. He had some good throws, like the long touchdown pass he had to Juju, and you could definitely tell that the deep ball is going to be his strength. And that's not surprising seeing the system he came out of at Oklahoma State, but you really have to hope that he grows into it mentally, and he might, but we'll just have to see.
0: I don't see it with Mason Rudolph. I, I kind of imagine them <laughs> dwelling in quarterback purgatory, but what about the Bengals?
1: As far as Cincinnati goes, uh, you know, against the 49ers, the Bengals really were that bad. You know, the score actually probably is closer than how the game actually felt. You know, there was pressure in Dalton's face all game. And one of those touchdowns the Bengals had was a garbage time touchdown at the end to John Ross in the final minute or two of the game. So, you know, the game never really seemed like it was a contest from the first sequence. The When the 49ers kicked off the ball, the first three plays that Cincinnati ran were... Uh, the first play resulted in a sack. The second play was a handoff to... Joe Mixon, that Dalton and Mixon fumbled the exchange. And then the third play was a pass that was a short underneath route that the 49ers stopped for almost no gain. And then the Bengals punted it, and the 49ers marched right down the field and had a long touchdown pass to Marquise Goodwin. You know, right from the get-go, this game did not seem like it was going to be a contest. Even though the Bengals did drive on the next series to even it up, The 49ers went right back and scored more points on the next possession. And from there, it was it was over. So honestly, yeah, the Bengals did seem like they were that bad. And you should have no problem taking two of two from them this season.
0: I'm a little surprised at the Bengals performance on Monday night. In any case, we're going to take all of this, like Freddie says, one game at a time. Well, it's about time for us to wrap things up. But before we go, do you mind putting on your prognosticators hat for us? What are you anticipating for this Monday night?
1: You know, this prediction is tough. I I think that this is really going to show the 49ers where they are. I think you obviously have a very talented team in Cleveland. And we're really going to be able to see if the 49ers' defense is as real as we have seen it be in the first three weeks of the season. And, you know, I think that the outcome of the game is going to be decided by the, the lines. Miles Garrett is going to be a beast. And with left Joe Staley, the 49ers' starting left tackle for the past 12-13 seasons, being out rookie Justin School is taking his spot and he's going to be in for a long night having to go up against Miles Garrett play after play. You could definitely tell that more pressure was generated by Pittsburgh than in the first couple of games so that's going to be a big key for Cleveland is capitalizing on that Miles Garrett versus Justin School matchup. 49ers are likely going to try a lot of quick throws and focusing on the middle of the field and running the ball a lot to try to set up play action. Basically anything they can do to try to slow Miles Garrett down, that's going to be their game plan. And then on the opposite side, when Cleveland has the ball, they really need to force Baker into making some mistakes. I know that Baker is prone to throwing a few interceptions and fumbling the ball a little bit. So the defensive line is really going to have to force him into that because they haven't faced a receiver like Odell Beckham Jr. And if Antonio Callaway comes back in addition, maybe if Jarvis Landry is able to pass out of that concussion protocol in time for Monday's game, that's a really deadly receiving core. And the 49ers' number two corner, Kella Witherspoon, is hurt. He has a foot injury from the game against Pittsburgh. So really the secondary is going to be a question mark for the 49ers going into this game, and the 49ers have been a little susceptible to the deep ball if everything for the offense clicks on a play. If they give their quarterback time to throw, and if the receivers have enough time to run their full routes, they might have a chance to hit a big play or two. So ultimately, I think that this game is going to be a pretty close one because I do think the 49ers will be able to generate their fair share of pressure and force a few turnovers from Baker as well. So I think I'm just going to go with the home field advantage winning it out. But like I said, it's going to be close. So my prediction is going to be 27-24 49ers.
0: Well, as much as I hope you're wrong about that prediction, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us here at Dogs by Nature. Any last words, Zach?
1: Yeah, thanks again for having me. Uh, again you can follow me at me P on Twitter, uh, 49ers Noir Podcast. And yeah, good luck. I hope everybody comes out of this game healthy, that most importantly, and then best of luck the rest of the season. This is a really exciting time for Cleveland and it's fun to see Cleveland back in back in the mix and doing things again.
0: It's been a rough couple of years for both of our franchises, that's for sure. Well, I'll be pulling for you guys in any other game besides this Monday night. Zach, thanks so much for joining us here at Dogs by Nature. You've been listening to The Opposition Position. I am your host, Thelonious7. Take care. Go Browns and Dog Check.